G'day, Bloodthirsters. It is AOS Coach here, and we are talking all the things Blades of Corn. I am here with Kevin. What was? What did Rob call you? I want. Yeah. So, Rob. Rob said Lemix Gangson. So that Lemix, was a bit. I'm, funny. I'm here with Kevin Lemix. No, I'm here with Kevin <laughs> Lemire Gagnon. I think that's that's way better, actually. So, I'm putting you above Rob on this one. Ooh, clip that, guys. Clip that. That's yeah, uh, clip, that, clip that will it. stay on the vault. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have butchered it without you. But we are talking corn, and the reason I've got Kevin on the show is because Kevin went four and one at Clash, which was a Canadian-based tournament, 116 odd players around the 110, 120 mark, and you did incredibly well, four and one with Blades of Corn, one that I probably wouldn't have expected. And while you didn't podium, you know, four and one is a very, very good performance. And obviously, you know, battle tactics and things, you know, will, will fluctuate between top and bottom. But I thought it was worth discussing, given that Corn traditionally at the moment is not doing very well, and you got a White Dwarf update, and I kind of wasn't that impressed with it. But you did obviously incredibly well. So before we go into General's Handbook 2022, I thought I'd just I'd chat with you. I'd find out what is working with Corn and how are you getting out of the faction? Because, yeah, like no one really talking Corn, And the, the the most popular thing from Corn is just Corn Demon Prince. That's it. It's just people like, yep, Corn Demon Prince, maybe a couple of Bloodthirsters in, yeah. in Legion of the First Prince and maybe some Flesh Hounds. Yeah, so... Um... The army in itself is uh, like low tier for sure. Uh, I've always liked challenges and trying something new that nobody plays usually. So uh, there's still some good videos on the internet. And uh, for example, Gammy did one with you uh, a bit earlier this year, I think. And uh, there were good things I, I picked out of that uh, also. And uh, one of the things that came out better in uh, third edition is the blood type table. So there's a few things we can do with that that really, uh, I will say break the game, but can, can surely turn the tide very fast in, in a game. So this is something I've been uh, very uh, working around and making sure that I get an edge in the games with that. And uh, yeah, so definitely the, the tome is lacking a lot of tools. But we can compensate uh, a lot with other things that are a limit broken. But yeah, we can make it work. By the way, Kevin, you got to introduce yourself to the internet in a minute. But I, I do want to point out as well that, you know, enjoy the Corn Demon Prince for that little bit longer. We obviously saw some previews and some leaks into the Corn Demon Prince. And as Tuan's mentioning in the chat, um, end of the year kind of when the slaves yeah. of darkness battle tome is expected December. that corn demon prince is going to change a little yeah um do we want me to introduce myself first or yeah, talk please, about that please. demon prince no please please so you're obviously from from canada um yeah i know you're yeah. also I, I i recently found out you're on a podcast you're actually a content creator tell us more no i'm not so i I've, i'm uh, i'm participating with a content creator called gentleman 14 so that's in French, but uh, if some people here uh, on your channel speak a bit of French, they're welcome to get uh, on Twitch uh, for Gentleman 14. Look it up. So uh, I've been playing Warhammer for about 20 years. So it's, it, I've been playing 40K since third edition, since I was in high school and got that box of Black Templars and Dark Eldars. 
and just never stop from there, right? So it's been a long time playing 40K. And uh, when 7 or 8, 7 edition hit, uh, 40K was not appealing for me. So I switched to AOS and really found out um, a game that can be very deep, but also uh, less bloated on the rules. And uh, yeah, I'm having, I'm having more fun uh, since then playing AOS. So that's really what the, uh, I would say my gaming experience is. Uh, so I've been there for a long time. What got you into corn? I think that's probably the, the big thing that I want to know. What got you started into Blades of Corn and what made you persist uh, considering, again, they're not doing very well competitively right now. Um, what made you persist with corn? Yeah, so my friends would tell you that I'm always switching armies. I'm going from a project to another. But that's been, that's been two, two times I've been at the clash with corn. So there's something I like about this army that is... Uh, really like i would say tricks but uh yeah it's it's like stealthy shady tricks that you're pulling off on your opponent they are well aware of it but they don't it's always a surprise when you come up with them and and just trigger those tricks so like i said i've won many games just using at the right moment at the right time the right ability and that really is something i like with this army because it's very unique and because not a lot of player, not a lot of player play that army, it's always fun going into a tournament and being like an underdog or someone that, even if you're doing three two or four one, like for this example, people are very uh, high, hyped about the performance and they they want to know more, right? So I think I prefer going into uh, tournaments with, the, I would say mid or low tier army and try to make something work out than going in with the top tier and try to having like a lot of pressure doing well i'm i'm the same funnily enough because i really enjoy playing with things like gits right you know i, I played sons when sons were terrible mm -hmm. yes folks there was a time where gargans were bad um especially in second edition they weren't very good i love gits and i love that for the exact reason like i love trying to look at what can i do with something that isn't highly rated and try to make the most of it. So I can yeah. fully appreciate um, where you're coming from with that. Absolutely. But and yeah, go ahead. No, Sorry. I was just going to say, I wonder if corn and I, and I do wonder, cause you talked about play, uh, the, the play style a little bit being tricksy, right? And I always feel that that doesn't feel like corn, you know, Magakin of Nurgle got a massive change because they were fast and, you know, you and I play Warhammer for like 20 odd years Nurgle's a slow, grindy army. So when Nurgle came out and it was super fast, it could ch charge because of a tree. Um, it always felt weird to me. Mm -hmm. And Corn is exactly the same. And I had a video with uh, with Con um, about uh, from from who's now the Sweden champion. Uh, recently, just won uh, the Swedish championship, and we were talking about it. And that for me, when I think of Corn, I don't think of tricks. I think of Daughters of Cain. I think of Iron Jaws. If you played corn like those two, which is like get in, smash a couple of prayers, yeah. like that to me is what corn feels like. And I wonder when you get the next battle tome, if it will be less tricksy and it will be more, again, like Iron Jaws, like Daughters of Cain. Yeah, it could be. And I know, you know, it's funny because the first thing I said when they were, well, they have not announced yet a new battle tome, but when they announced a new tome celestial, I was just, 
crossing my fingers that they would not change the blood type. So this is really something that scared me because all the power of the book comes from there, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, so maybe it's why I would say some some players may have some a different a, a difficult time playing the army because they maybe expect to go all in and really go forward and, and clash with the opponent when in reality it's really about taking your time positioning yourself and pulling off tricks when you need to so like you said it, it's it's not what you expect versus what you're supposed to do and maybe that's putting a few players off playing the army but i mean in all respect the army is still uh, low tier versus a lot of shooting and there's so many things in the aos meta right now that can hurt us in one turn and break your game i mean that happens but yeah i mean on most of the game you can do something about it so yeah we are going to show by the way for anyone who is new to the channel we will show um kevin's lists and we'll unpack it a little bit but i also want to get kevin's um thoughts and the way he looks at sub-faction blood tie, especially you've talked a lot about the blood tie using your tricks at the right time. I think if I'm a new corn player, I don't know what to do. I don't know when to do it. And, you know, there's, you know, blood ties are really interesting one. Unlike the other, uh, the other chaos gods, once you use your blood tie, you go back to zero and using the wrong one it can be quite punishing. So I want to, I want to understand from you very shortly how you look at blood tie, your sub faction, your build. But what was your experience with Clash? I want to go back to Grand yeah. Clash again. 120 odd players, um, lots of different armies out there right now. What were the armies that you were playing? What were you trying to build towards? Like, were you concerned about dragons? Were you concerned about Nurgle? Were you concerned about like long strikes and bow snakes and you know sentinels? Like, what was it you're expecting? And kind of what did you actually face? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I want to give a shout-out to the, that tournament. So it's the Grand Clash. in the, It's located in the, the province of Quebec in, at Shawinigan, so it's Canada. And we have actually a very big community here of players that, that's been building in the past, I would say, five years. But uh, mainly all the players come from a, about two-hour drive from the event. So we have a lot of people around playing AOS in Quebec. And the tournament got so big in the few uh, last years that now we have, uh, for example, Season of War, they have players coming in. We had some players from France coming in. Uh, so it's getting bigger and bigger. And I mean, at this point, we can consider it a GT. And hopefully very soon, we'll get some uh, a, a lot more players. And it, I think it's on par. I've been to Adepticon before. I've been to Rochester also. And this is definitely one of the nicest venue and community base that uh, is worth taking the trip to, to go, right? Uh, players speak French mostly, but we all play in English. So, I mean, if anyone wants to take a guess and come to the tournament, I mean, they won't be, uh, they won't be having any problems out there. So it's a very nice tournament. No, that's awesome. But what, so, what did you play? What did you play yeah, up against? And what, so, were you, what were you expecting when you went there? Yeah, so uh, I was, first of all, I actually challenged uh, a friend of mine who was, with, I didn't know what he was playing, but uh, in the first round, we were able to challenge some friends and opponents, right? And uh, he was, I have learned like a week before that he was going in with some dragons and thunder strikes. But uh, 
maybe Korn did me a favor right at the start of the tournament because before everything started, uh, the pairing system got like shut down and they couldn't do any duels or challenges. So I got randomly paired with uh, Thunder Lizard. I mean, it's still Thunder Lizard with uh, <laughs> uh, Skinks, but I actually dodged the big bullet there because I was the one making the challenge. And uh, in my mind, I was starting the tournament 0-1, but that was a nice uh, favor of corn right there. So I played versus Thunder Lizard. I played versus some Stormcasts, more melee-oriented, like the Alpha Strike with the Annihilators. Um, I played versus a Flesh Eater with a Mega Gargan. And uh, the best game was uh, on the fourth one with James playing the Sylvanet. So that was pretty much my favorite game of the tournament. Very close game. And uh, yeah, so I, that got me to the final table, to uh, table number one at the end versus uh, Lou and his Idonet. And well, this, uh, at that time, the, I was missing some uh, <laughs> blood juice or anything. Corn Favor dropped me there and I didn't make it. So that's where the 4-1 comes in. But I was very happy to be able to play on the top table uh, on game four and five. So were you expecting a lot more shooting? It sounds like you had a very favorable draw. And I'm not trying to take anything away from you because mm -hmm. that's the one thing about tournaments, right? You you can go in and expect the absolute worst. I'm just going to play long strikes and Marathi and like insert top army here. You know, whenever you're listening to this, there'll always be like a top five, top six armies that are terrorizing. And there are some times, and I've mentioned this many times, there's some times where I've gone to a tournament and I've played the most overpowered factions, like three out of five games. Then sometimes you'll miss them completely. Yeah. How do you think your corn would have gone against, again, long strikes, maybe Kragnos, you know, any of those things that are kind of terrorizing at the moment? I was mostly scared of bow snakes uh, and uh, Stormcast Thunderbolt, like very shooty army. Uh, the one I don't know, remember the I don't remember the name of the the guy who won Adepticon, but like a thirty man a crossbow uh, list was something scary also. So of course that's something that can happen. But when we are playing in a tournament of one hundred and thirty people, I think you have more chances to dodge some kind of of list because at some point it's not everybody that's playing the, these high meta lists. And uh, but if you are in a 16 person game, well, after one or two games, you're really topping and getting those nasty lists quickly. So, yeah, that that can help, but also it's still corn, it's still a low tier or battle tone. So, every matchup was not uh, won in advance, I would say. Uh, you always need to uh, bring up your A game to make sure that you get the win because you're so fragile and. The, the slightest mistake is going to cost you so much. So it's a very challenging army to play, but very rewarding also when you're getting good results. Yeah, and that probably is a big thing, right? With Corn and, again, Gitz or Sylvaneth or any of the lower-tier factions, you've really got to fight for your, your wins quite aggressively. And when you do make a mistake, you can get really punished, while if you play a top-tier army, it definitely the mistakes aren't as impactful and george by the way i just want to call out this comment george mentioning that um and reminding me that uh some of your games at least i know at least one maybe two um you'll have to tell me but i know seasons of war who were recording grand clash um you can actually go watch one of your battle reports so go check out friends of the channel seasons of war if you want to see uh kevin with his corn in action 
Yeah, and quickly about that, uh, I see the comment right there. So uh, against James, it was an absolute uh, very nice game, and I loved it. And versus Lou, I made a, mis a small mistake. Uh, small. I made a mistake uh, using Blood Tide on the Corn Demon Prince. And at that point, I, I during the game against Lou, I, I saw the mistake and I told him while we were playing the game. And at that point, he just said, oh, well, at that point, it doesn't matter anymore or anything like that. But I pointed it out at him uh, during the game on turn two that this was a mistake if he wants to go back and change anything. But he said, oh, it's fine. I mean, there's no problem. But in the end, I don't think the result would have changed. I had other units close. But uh, yeah, when you make a mistake, always point out to your opponent to make sure that at least you get a common ground on something and make sure it's okay. Yeah, and like for some people, you know, you can't memorize and make. Like if anyone thinks they play a perfect game, they are. They, you know, people make mistakes, and I think to your point is about being honest and trying to work through a yeah. solution as opposed to at the end of the game you're like, wait a second, this person lied or made a mistake here, and then you know there's some feel bads. But when it comes to corn and third edition, and I want to go to your blood tie in a second. By the way, thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate that. Um, I know again, like it's it's probably good to hear that you know mistakes do happen. Like. There's, there's times that probably are like, oh, yeah, shit, and, I did that. And at the same time, there's things that I completely forget that I should have done. And I'm like, oh, so sometimes it all works out. Yeah, and I, I would aid to win and because of that also. So I want to make sure that we're, we're okay on what's happening here. And if, if he wanted something to go back, I mean, that would be fine. But it turns out well for him in the end, and that's awesome. So no problem there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm going to bring up Blood Tie now because, you know, yeah. we've talked about it many times already. I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions as we go. And I want to kind of get into your mind. Before I get into the list, I want to get into your thinking, right? Because with Corn, I would imagine that um, the monster meta right now, you know, being able to have a whole bunch of Bloodthirsters, being able to, to get into combat quicker because the board sizes have changed, would play in your favor. But we'll get to that, you know, as we go through the show. Mm -hmm. But talk to me about this blood tie. You talk about the tricks. You talk about the way you look at it. How does blood tie influence the way you build your list? But then also, how does it influence the way you play? Talk to me about the tricks. Talk to me about how you look at the blood tie table. And obviously, I haven't brought up summoning here as well. Um, you obviously can summon units as well. Well, I, I can I can go from the left or right on the slide. So because summon is going to be really quick. Uh, I actually summon absolutely zero unit in the tournament. So uh, I think summoning Bloodthirsters is... You're not using the, your, the, the blood tie to the full potential when you're reaching eight. Usually when you get there, you're either getting destroyed or you're winning the game like already. And putting up a Bloodthirster charging at nine inches is really it or miss. So you need to wait another turn. And usually the opponent just kills it because he's already winning and he has the tools to do it. Or you just kill more your opponent, but you were already winning the game. So uh, summoning a Bloodthirster for me uh, never worked, really. Uh, the, the best, absolute best I could do is, let's say, bring five blood letters or five flesh ounce for two or three blood tights. Um, but yet again, at the tournament, I just brought 10 blood letters in case, but they've never seen the table from the whole tournament. So why? Why why aren't you summoning? Because, because... Zinch will see Zinch will use their, their dice to summon very quickly. Nurgle will throw down and they want to summon. What makes you different? 
because you're spending all your blood tights on other stuff. <laughs> because it's the same points, right? And as you know, blood tight or summoning, you spend all your points. So there's, if I would have extra summoning points and blood tight points separately, I would of course summon probably a bit more. But uh, as you need to make a choice, uh, the choice is most of the time very obvious. Uh, so except for capping a point or something like that, usually I will not be summoning anything. So, so it's if good. You're not, so if you're not summoning bodies, yeah. what are you using? So how do you look at your blood tithe table? So there's actually on the tournament only three that I'm using. So it's the, the non-number two, uh, auto unbind. That actually versus um, James and his Sylvanet came in Andy a few times because he was casting with his Throne of Vines at like 18 for his aura damage. And I was just spending two to unbind and making sure that no damage was getting in. So it's, it's a very... The way I look at Korn uh, is you have some very reliable abilities going on. And the way that probably I got till the end of the tournament 4-0 before the, five game, the fifth game is... Everything is not based on luck. It's all 100% uh, reliable I, every time. So the, we'll see with the list and I'll explain why. But so, so these are abilities that will work 100% of the time. So this is not on a 2 plus you might get something. It's you call it and it's not happening. So that's very strong. And some armies rely on their spells to get some combos off like the spell portal or things like that. And I like to wait till the end just to make sure that, so they, they get their spell, spell portals in, they're like all happy and they're hyped about what's coming. And when they get their big spell, they, they, you need, they try to cast it and they might get some rerolls, some miscast or things like that. So you wait till the end, but when something's happening and, and you don't want it to happen, well, you just cross Hatch these two blood tights and it's not happening. So it breaks some do, turns. Yeah. How do you know which spell? Because I think that's probably one thing that people are, especially for people who maybe aren't tournament practiced or aren't across the complete meta. When you are looking at your opponent <coughs> and they have spell casters, how mm -hmm. do I know which one is worth dropping two blood tie points to? And like what's what's the thinking and how do you how do you get to that point? Well, the first thing is to get those two blood tides as soon as possible. So if you get, you can get turn one, I'll see it later. But yeah, so the first thing you want to do is get two blood tides to make sure that you have some defense going on. Uh, choosing which spell, usually it's the last one. I mean, except if there's a spell portal, you might want to deny that if there's a lot of caster that could potentially go through with one spell. Uh, I mean, it's one per turn, but if you cancel it, some, one other, some other summoner could do something there. Uh, but usually, you, you know what spell on the other side is, like Mind Razor. Like, I mean, there are some very nasty spells that sometimes will be cast at what the opponent really wants them to, to happen. And right before double turn, also, when you are playing second, and that player tried to go for a buff or something very strong, and you deny that on the top of the turn, well, now they are open to a double turn with no uh, ability or buff on. So you can really try to uh, 
time your uh, cancel at the right time. And that can break a game just by itself. Because usually people that want to get those big casts in will get plus one or plus two casts, will get their reroll. So they're trying all their best to always get that spell on. And you just they'll, say, nope, that's not happening. Fight. Right. Yeah. They'll, like so, fight. they'll fight for like arcane terrain as well. Like you'll notice yeah. even at deployment, right? If there's a piece of arcane terrain, they'll put their wizard there. So you know, and you could relook at their list and go, right, well, that wizard sitting on arcane, that these are the spells that they want. This is the one they're more likely wanting to cast. So let's and, keep and you let them to... and you let them do all their things, and at the end you just say nope, and it's not happening. So that's a hundred percent reliable and very useful to use against James. For another example, I cancel a spite swarm, uh, spite swarm swarm or hive uh, that gives plus three to charge because I knew. Even with my Demon Prince, plus three, would, it would be able to make those charges or at least get in tight. And just by denying that, all his teleport from that turn came, in, came out like uh, auto-fails because he was nine away and the Demon Prince was cutting everything off. So that was a big cancel on that turn. So these are just examples that you can really wreck a turn just by knowing that you will cancel that spell at that time. So the other one, I think the most powerful is the third one. So you can make a normal move or a charge move uh, if you're within 12. So this is the, I think, the most game breaker of all the corn book that is going to win you games and just by pulling it off at the right moment. So. I will give you just an example, maybe not in the games I played, but I did it uh, with the Demon Prince, for example, but wrong choice of unit. Um, what I like to do usually is put some uh, chaff. So, for example, Blood Reavers, Flesh Hounds, things that I don't mind losing at all. Uh, could even be the, the, the Slaughter Priest. I mean, it's not too bad. But what you want to do is put it in front of the biggest threat in the opponent's army. Gatebreaker, for example, Mega Gargant, uh, Mock Russia, anything. And because the Blood Tithe is at the start of the hero phase, but you are playing second because it's your opponent's turn. So they need to do everything before you. So they will need to choose their heroic action, choose their battle tactics. And this is really where you break their game. So... For example, if someone takes bring it down on one of my bloodthirsters with their, and I know they're gonna get it with the mega gargan. After they've chosen everything, just before the arrow phase starts, you just say, "Well, I'm gonna charge you with those ten blood reavers," and now that mega gargan is sitting here, need to kill the, those ten blood reavers. So it's an auto fail on that battle tactic. That gatebreaker is not doing anything this turn because he's killing 10 Blood Rivers. Actually, he's giving me one Blood type, so that's fine. And he just lose two or three points in the game. So usually when you can pull that off on turn three, you, the opponent just shakes your hand and says, good game, uh, there's no coming back from that. So that can happen a lot. Um, and yeah, so it's you can definitely like cancel one or two battle tactics per game just by playing this at the right time. So uh, like the blood tide, like I said, is in the hero phase, and, but usually you use it at the uh, opponent hero phase. 
And you just wait, like I said, like the uh, auto unbind, you just wait that they do all their things. They're all happy and they have their plan in mind. And you just go with something that cancels what everything they were trying to pull off. And now their turn is screwed. So they now need to readjust, but they, 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 it's not what they were thinking. And usually that throws them off the game and you can go from there. So if that Mega Gargan's not taking his turn because he needs to kill 10 Blood Reavers, well, after that, you are playing. You might get a double turn, for example. So that Mega Gargan is sitting there like a long time. And you just put another unit beside it. And on the next turn, when he's ready to activate it, you just pull the same trick again. So you can cancel an Archeon or things like that for a whole game if you're really paying attention and try to make it happen. I mean, you can cancel a full like threat for a whole game. So you're using you're using the three blood tie to deny the opponent their battle tactic, being able to screen off and just dominate the board as opposed to and you know Arthur. I want to I want to hear your third choice because Arthur is asking about the fight twice. You know what, what was your thinking and you know why didn't you use the fight twice against Sylvaneth? Which uh, I'm sure you had some logic or some thinking there because I imagine the four points would be a, a, a very popular one, picking one corn unit within three inches and it yeah. can pile and then fight in the so, hero phase, which is great. Mm -hmm. So that's the third one, of course. Cool. Uh, so why would you use that? Well, if your Bloodthirster is still alive, for example, if there's anything that happened that you're still in combat and they pick still their battle tactics and they want to try to finish your, your Bloodthirster or things like that, you can fight before and cancel whatever he's going for. Um, get some blood tights in. So that's, I don't think I've used it in the tournament, um, but that can happen. So these are mostly the three I'm using. I, I couldn't even read you like the other four because I've never used them. So, I mean, that can happen, but I mean, I would need to see when you're in trouble in a game, you go and you try to find every tools that you can to maybe get you out of a bad position but usually the number two and three are the 90 percent of the time what i'm using kevin are you finding in third edition you're getting less uh blood tie because units are more durable lists are less less units at the moment you know especially in the first six to nine months of sigma it has been elite bodies monster heroes you know, very powerful units as opposed to what we had in second, which was a lot of chaff, a lot of like minimum unit sizes to kind of cap potentially up to eight objectives we used to have on yeah. um, a second edition table. Are you finding you're getting less blood tie? Uh, no, because like I said, I'm only using two or three every time. So I'm not, when I'm seeing that I'm at five or six, I know I'm doing something wrong because I should be spending my blood tide as soon as I get two or three or four max. So usually uh, I'm not having a hard time because I'm using small numbers and thank, thank God they're the, the best one and they're the low cost ones. So this is very good. Uh, and also, well, yes, there's less unit, but that's the corn job player to bring out chef and make sure your unit dies. So in my list, I mean, everything is uh, expendable. Even the Bloodthirsters, if you need to. I mean, you, when you play corn, you got to make a habit of not feeling bad because you're losing a unit. You must be happy because you're getting a blood type. So every time you're losing anything, 
feel happy about it because that's going to help you go back into the game, really. And that's why Blood Sacrifice on the Slaughter Priest is so good. We'll see it uh, upcoming. But like I said, you need to get those two Blood Tights in as quick as possible because if you can cancel on turn one a big thing or a big cast or, or something, or at least turn two, this usually gets you at a good place in the game. So, yeah, because turn one, sometimes they're not get, able to get a charge in, but turn two, definitely you want to block something big happening. Yeah, cool. No, that makes sense. No, I like it. And I think definitely having a couple of good options, especially now that third edition is very much like, you know, used to be a five-turn game. We now kind of, I mean, you could argue that the game always kind of got determined around three turn three to turn four. It's now turn two to turn three very much is the deciding time in the game. So if you can have a couple of blood ties, especially being able to deny somebody going into that really clutch moment, yeah. um, good good call. And I think it's definitely worth and not burning just because you want the extra CP, save up to those two threes and fours because you're going to need them. Yes. And that was something on your channel that I need to say really was inspiring is... Uh, Sylvanet player Matthew, I think, like a few months ago. And he was really talking about battle tactic, tactics with his Sylvanet that he was not killing anything, but he was winning games because he was just putting out those battle tactics steadily every turn. So that's something I, I aim to do with my army as well. So really make sure you get yours in. But we have the tool to prevent the opponent from doing his. So kind of like Velacor's list, but in a different way, we can really put a hurt on them on turn two and turn three. And sometimes, like I said, it's it's been very, it's not unusual to get an opponent just shake your hand at turn three because you've denied them a battle tactics and they'll just stop the game there. So I will ask about, about some, George in the chat asking about um, allying Gargans. We'll get to some allies because I also want to know his thoughts on Cronspine. It's a couple of interesting models you could bring in, and I want to talk about Cronspine in a minute because I think there might be some good stuff that you could possibly get out of Cronspine, especially mm -hmm. I love the idea of Cronspine with the Bloodthirster list, being able to get all-out attack on everybody in a bubble. Chef's kiss. But you talked blood, tact uh, blood tactics. Um, you talked about battle tactics. Recently, with about a month or two ago, um, White Dwarf Supplement, the Celestial Tome or Tome Celestial, um, gave you a new grand strategy and three new battle tactics. As a corn player, are you incentivized or are you someone that will use the Blood Legion's March? By the way, if you're not familiar with it, uh, you score it when the battle ends. Um, it, 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 basically, if you summon a corn demon unit to the battlefield every turn. Yeah, so this is a after, no after the first, after the yeah. first. So this is a no-go for me, of course, like I said earlier, because I'm never summoning. But if you were to be summoning, you would probably get four times five blood letters that are not really helping you in the game. And also, you're not using the best of the blood type, which is the number two, three, and four. So I think this is a no-go if we, unless you want to have fun for a game, casual game or beer and pretzel. But I don't think this is something useful. If all the blood types would be stacking up, maybe that's something that I would look into it. But as it resets to zero, this is a no-go for me. 
yeah like if i could have five blood type points spend two on the you know auto unbind and then use my remaining three to summon yeah different story but it's not mm -hmm. the world we currently live in i yeah. agree with you when i look at that i think that's a bad deal i think you're just asking for trouble absolutely so yeah i mean there's nothing really more maybe if the the new battle tome they will change the way it works but right now there's really no appeal on that so basically keep it in your back pocket if the blood tie and summoning changes in the future it might be good but right now, you're probably better off with Beastmaster, Hold the Line, any of the generic ones in your battle plan. Absolutely. Well, I, I wouldn't use your Hold the Line because <laughs> no. the, the goal of your army is getting your chaff dead True. to get some blood tight. So you're, you're never using Hold the Line. If you do change that. You need something else. <laughs> All right, you got me on a technicality. Pillars of pillars of belief. If you're running like the you know your priests or you you're running beast master. If you or a war shrine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. You got me on a technicality. What about the <laughs> battle tactics? Let's move along. Let's, let's, let's pretend I didn't say hold the line. Most people just run hold the line. Maybe maybe some people have some hold the line and they they didn't th think it through, so that can happen. I did it once, and when I was playing, I was like. This is terrible. I'm just losing the game because of that. So I, I, I've done it myself. So that's why I'm telling you because I know it's bad. <laughs> what about your battle tactics? You've got three of them, right? Blood, for, blood yep. uh, for the altar is pick one enemy unit within nine inches of the skull altar and you score it if the unit is destroyed. Yep. You've got Slay the Sorcerer. So you pick an enemy hero on the battlefield that's a wizard. And then if you kill that wizard, it is, um, it's, you score it. And then the Trials of Skulls, which is pick a friendly unit and you complete it. it if eight or more enemy models are slain by attacks made by uh, the unit in the turn. Thoughts on yes. those three? Yes. So the blood, of, blood for the Altar is something I've not used it yet. But I, it's something that could happen, so it's not out of uh, out of the line to, to to use it. Because usually, if you look back at the games on stream, but I place my altar very aggressively at the middle of the board, as as further as I can, because all the reach for the uh, slaughter praise is sixteen inches usually, and so so you need to go forward and and be aggressive with it. So if the fight's happening at the middle of the board. That could happen within nine inches of the altar. So I could see that happening. It's not something I'm using uh, frequently, but yeah, that could happen. Slay the Sorcerer, well, you, you got bring it down. There's Slay the Warlord, usually that when you kill with a monster, you get an extra point. And this one's not giving extra points. So unless there's like a good, uh, this is the only thing you can do, but usually you'll pick the two others first. So when you get to that Slater Sorcerer, usually there's no really more monster, hero, uh, I would say uh, wizard or hero left. So I'm not using that one a lot. Uh, that can happen, but usually I'm using Bring It Down or uh, Slay the Warlord. I mean, these are not wizard, but in this edition, it's God Hammer. So usually the, the, the monsters are hero and wizard. So yeah. Yeah. I, but, I will say, though, like, remember that we are on the cusp of the next General's Handbook. So if the battle pack does change and we do lose Broken Ranks, Slay the Warlord, all of absolutely. those, you know, 
if we lose those, like uh-huh. I, I can see this one being quite good, especially with those minor foot troop heroes. Like you got those five wound little idiots that are running around casting spells. It's a nice one to pip. But I think to your point, obviously look at your battle tactics and what's available to you. And if there is something's giving you bonus points, yeah, you go for those so yeah. quickly. But at least it's not bad. So, I mean, if that happens in the game and you see the opportunity, go pick it. It's fine. It's not a bad one. So, but the one that I'm using quite often is the Trial of Skulls. So why is because sometimes broken ranks, killing a battle line seems easy, but sometimes you get into like 20s kings or uh, bigger chaff units, cavens, and it's easy to kill eight, but sometimes it's hard to kill 20 or 30 of these. So really that one is something I've been using uh, quite often actually to get some some big battle tactics points in key moments. And you could obviously combine them as well, right? You know, if, you, if you're working a, a block of, I don't know, 30 more tech guard or, you know, something that's quite durable and you don't think you're going to kill the whole unit this turn, you could throw down Trial of Skulls to kind of use some attrition, get some battle tactics on this unit, and then as the unit's dying, throw down Broken Ranks and then complete it, right? So um, there's that layering effect if you want yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely. So this one, this one is probably the best thing of the Tom Celestial, that battle tactic, I would say, the, the most useful one. Uh, we also got on six up you, uh, in your spells on the Tom Celestial. Uh, I mean, I've got a comet from the uh, Stormcast list on my second round, and I've rolled absolutely no sixes on like 10 rolls. So at that moment, I understood that this was just... I would say worthless, but it's not something that's going to turn the tide usually. So it's it's nice to have, but I mean, it's not something that you need to uh, take into account to win your games. So it's not a six-up ward; it's just a six-up no, no. ignore. Yeah, spell ignore. Effects. Yeah, it's just yeah. the spell effects, though, right? It's endless spells and spells. Yeah, yeah, and you get a, bl- a blood tide point if if you manage to get a six. So getting that stormcast comet, I was just like frotting my hands like this because I, I knew I was I was getting like two or three blood tights and I got none. So I mean if that usually in the game I when I thinking about this ability, I see that the other's army are mainly buffing themselves. It's 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 not happening often that we're getting debuffs or really some spell casts on us. So it's not impacting the game very that much. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. Look, it's, it's, yeah, it's something you're not going to rely on. It's nice to have when it happens, especially if you yeah. go into an army that has lots of spell casting. Um, you hopefully will get one six. Maybe you'll spike and you'll spike the right type of spell. But yeah, it's a nice to have as opposed to I'm going to build a strategy around ignoring spells on a six. I mean, a five up would have, would not have been so bad and would have stopped maybe some other, uh, some enemies or opponent to cast like spells that are not really value because they're, they're thinking, I don't want to give a blood type on a five up. That's happening too much. But on the sixes, it's not stopping them. They just go for it. Yeah. I couldn't care less on a six. Couldn't yeah. care less. A five, that would align like, oh, actually, there's a one in three chance that, you know, this is not going to go off. But look, of the, all the sub-factions, before I talk about Reapers of Vengeance, which is clearly what you are going to be running, how do you feel about the other sub-faction builds in general? Do you think that all of them are competitive right now? Some of them are competitive. 
or is you know because reapers always just keeps coming up second edition it was one of the most popular ones third edition it's still one of the most popular ones yes so uh there's there's big problems in every one of them Uh, i can go fast on the other ones but uh, the blood lords the the problem with it is you give four move on your general but the problem is that you don't want to give general to a bloodthirster because he's going to die and you're losing that that uh, those cps every turn so this is not something you want to do so the, the first uh, advice I, I would give the corn players is never give general to a bloodthirster never 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 <laughs> so just because of that the blood lords is something i I'm, i tried it a few games Reward wants to wound uh, against monsters or heroes is something nice with Bloodthirster. There's a good value there. But when you're losing your main Bloodthirster, I mean, this the game goes off rails. So you don't want to do that. Uh, Gortide is something I really enjoyed playing. I tried some mortal lists also. Um, we can speak about that later, but Gortide is fine. Gortide is a good one. And... Uh, the other ones, cool thing. Try. I have not played Corgraft. I tried to go for the Casino Boomterster to get plus two attacks on on a big axe and try to max out as much attacks as I can, but it's not working out. So, yeah. So for these ones, is not something I would use. Uh, and there's one in the Rat of Ever Chosen, the, uh, the Baleful Lords. The Baleful Lords. I was just yeah. looking at that, going friendly Baleful Lords can run and charge. My oh, okay, that sounds not bad. Yeah, the problem is that you're charging. So you don't want to charge with some corn demons. You want to pile in six. So because now in third edition, you're getting Unleash L. And Bloodthirsters probably have the worst profile, degrading profile. So they're losing all what's good about them very fast. So as soon as you're getting like five, six wound in, your Bloodthirster is getting basically worthless. So this is not something that, I mean, it's fine, but it's not something I would run. Pause on that one. Talk to me more about what you just said there, right? So I don't want to charge. I want to pile in six. If I'm a new player, that probably seems counterintuitive. Corn wants to run forward. I want to charge. I want to smash. As an experienced player, you know the value of a six-inch pile in. Tell me more and why it's beneficial to corn and how you're getting access to the six-inch pilot. Obviously, we'll show the list in a minute, but yeah. I, I just want to kind of unpack that a little bit for someone who isn't familiar with the combination. So if the blood tithe is the number one thing in the battle tone, the ability of the unfettered fury bloodthirster to pilot in six for all demons within 16 inches is probably on par or number two as the most broken thing in the battle tone. So... These are the two abilities that make it work. Um, because first of all, Pilot 6 gives you so much uh, move potential. You were talking about Bale for Lords run and charge. But with a Pilot 6, you can run and Pilot 6. So you can probably, you, you get average like the same distance. But like I was saying earlier, Pilot 6 is guaranteed. So it's not a charge that you need to roll. It's not something that you might fail. When you know you are, you are at six inches from the enemy, you know that you are getting there. So this is another example of 100% reliability. 
Yes, in third edition, you need to be careful of redeploys. We'll talk about that. But it's you can trick your opponent like to make sure that you, you can get there where you need to be. Also, piling means you can retreat and pile in. So sometimes you can get off of combat, move away, and go back or go elsewhere. Uh, so there's so many things that you can use with pile in six. Also being the first strike first on all your combat because you're piling in one of them each time. So usually a bloodthirster kills what's in front of them. So when you do that, like for example, two times with Scarbrand and the uh, the Boom Thurster, you're not getting any damage back, and that's what you want as corn players. You don't want to get those unleash L's. You don't want to get strike back. So this is really the tool you need to get damage in and stay alive for the game. And just to kind of like, again unpack this a little bit more you know, for anyone who might be confused here on how this all works, right? So you are eligible for, to be in combat if you're within three inches of an enemy. You, you successfully land a charge if you're within half an inch. So if I if I have my Bloodthirster, for example, and I run up the board and I literally do a run roll and I am um, five inches away from the enemy or 5.9 or whatever it might be, I'm technically not in combat. Because I'm technically not in combat, in, in a normal faction, I can only pile in three inches, but I'm not eligible for combat, thus I'm not eligible to pile in. Exactly. But when the combat phase kicks in and you've got something like Sisters of Slaughter that have a six-inch pile-in, you have one of the corn bloodthirsters that let you do a six-inch pile-in, you are now eligible to pile in because you're within six. Zombies are the same as well, yes. the um, Soblite Zombies. They allow you to pile in, which means you can um, you can choose when to activate. So you're not going to get hit first. It obviously means that you know you don't have to worry about hitting the charge. It obviously means you can avoid things like, um, as you've mentioned, all out uh, not all out um, unleash hell. And so you're also dodging roar at the end of the charge phase. So this is a key thing on uh, getting there because you can now use your uh, other abilities to uh, really, like the Reapers of Vengeance one, you can use all-out attack, things like that. But because you are dodging those roars that are so bad for the uh, Bloodthirsters. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, you want to be able to issue those commands, especially when we get into one of your Bloodthirsters, which has a very powerful, as you've, we've talked about, you know, you don't want to be roared at. So if you can avoid that, and the six-inch pile-in is definitely one of those, you realize how powerful it is, especially if you burn a CP to auto run six. So just keep that in mind. I thought I just want to unpack that because it probably seems counterintuitive if you're not, uh, if you're not, uh, not, I wouldn't say skilled player. That's not what I want to say. Like an experienced player, you don't connect the dots to see the real value on why a six inch piling can be quite powerful. But I know Arthur in the chat was asking about the, the fight twice pitch, which is, obviously one of the most impactful pieces of Reapers of Vengeance, which is the leave none alive. So is yes. that the primary reason why you take Reapers? Yes, because sometimes you get to face, it's even more in third edition, there's really big monsters that sometimes you cannot kill in a single uh, com uh, turn or combat phase. So you need to strike a second time. So this is really the... Um, the ability that makes sure that you're not getting it back by something that stays alive. This is the tool that kills what's in front of you. 
and you make sure it's not hitting you back. So, so this is, yes, mainly the only reason Reapers of Vengeance is a step above the others. So, by the way, for anyone who, who can't see it, you know, you might be listening to this uh, on, a, on a podcast, but essentially uh, at the start of combat, you get to pick one friendly Reapers of Vengeance demon uh, unit that's wholly within eight of a friendly demon. And basically you can fight twice as long as it's within three inches of an enemy. It also allows you to pile in two. And I think, again, talking, you know, rewinding about two or three minutes, you talked about wanting to avoid raw. That's exactly right, because if I roar, then you're not able to issue or receive commands in the combat phase, and leave none alive happens at the start of combat. So if I get roared at, you lose the ability to do the double pile-in. So exactly. again, goes back to why you want to do a six-inch pile-in, which stops someone from potentially roaring at you, which then means you're going to be able to issue this command. And one thing I want to clear out to make sure is, yes, you can pile-in the six, but to make sure that the leave non alive ability triggers that second unit if you you're killing what's in front of you the first time really needs to be within 3 because it's written 3 there so you cannot trigger it on a 6 for a, a pile in 6 for the second time you strike you really need to be within 3 on that second pile in you can pile in 6 but you need to be within 3 for that trigger Yep, yep. So you issue you issue the command at the start, and then it, it's allowed to fight twice as long as it's within three inches um, for the second strike. Yeah. So usually, either you go for a big target that you think might take two strikes, or you make sure to clip two units, and you go all in on one, make sure it dies. Go all in on the other one, make sure it dies, and you're getting two blood tides, and you're happy, happy camper. Yeah, unless you're me who um, plays Mega Gargans lately and, you know, Scarbrand and, and Bloodthirsters are coming in, double piling into my Mega. Um, are the other ones valuable to you? Devour the Craven, the Command Trait, and the Skull Shard Mantle? Are they all valuable or are they taxes? Well, Devour the Craven is not some. Usually you kill what's in front of you. So this is not something that's been triggering or happening uh, a lot. Uh, but the commentary and artifact is not so bad, and I'll tell you why. It's because, first of all, this does not require you to uh, put them on the bloodthirster. You know, for the other one I was talking, add four move. I mean, you want to put that on the bloodthirster. You, it, it's not very useful in the slaughter priest or things like that. But having the opportunity to deny uh, as a wizard, uh, I mean, you can put that on a small hero, and this is fine. So usually, well, in this, in my list, this is something that goes on the um, blood secretor uh, because he's usually in the middle of the board. And uh, I, I, rolling eight is not something that happens so infrequently. So, I mean, when you roll that eight, this is an auto unbind again. So that can really put an hurt on some player if you don't want to spend those two blood tides. Uh, this is something that happens quite regularly, and uh, D6 Mortal is always a, a good thing. So that's that's a that's a good commentary. I mean, I'm sure there's better stuff uh, made in the next battle tome that could be there, but this is not so bad. By the way, don't forget that you know all the new battle tomes that are coming out aren't locking no, no. you into your first artifact too. So who knows what's coming out? Um, I will say as well, in the upcoming edition, which is going to have more of a battle line focus, you might find Devour the Craven is more valuable if people are doing less 
monster heroes and more troops and we can only issue one uh inspiring presence a, a turn then well yeah a turn um you might find that the d3 models fleeing actually might be more valuable yeah i mean it's 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 not the it's not bad necessarily but it's not something that triggers often at, at, at the moment on the meta and the by the way i just want to yeah but go ahead sorry continue no continue please i was going to the the artifact so so the artifact of power, the Skull Shard Mantle, uh, I've seen some player put it on the Bloodthirsters. Uh, it's fine. But I'm not. I'm putting it on my general, which is the Blood Secretor, like I said above, because he's five points. And just that a few spells can really kill a, a big force multiplier in your army. For example, Kairos and uh, Gift of Change, six mortals. And you just lose your banner there and the guy that gives you plus one attack on everything. So I usually put this Colshar Mantle on the Blood Secretor just to make sure that he's not an easy target and he can stay alive uh, a bit longer. I was What I was going to call out, and I, we'll get to your list in a minute, I just want to call out Arthur's comment talking about how powerful Scarbrand is. And obviously the title of this show is Focus on Scarbrand because Scarbrand is an absolute combat monster. I will never forget the time that my Gloomspite gits were fighting Scarbrand. Scarbrand went into a unit of 60 Grots, killed 54 of them. Um, because he double piled in, he was angry at the time, and he did like these exploding mortal wounds. Um, he, did, he I think he did, he did a crazy amount of mortal wounds. Yeah, that's uh, had fun. Four, four goblins left who had a unit of fanatic hiding in there that then popped out the next turn and, and and destroyed him. But I'll never forget him pulling down fifty six grots with a minus one to hit in one round of combat. That's what That's why he's there for. <laughs> he's a jerk <laughs> we'll one, but. There's a reason why the Reapers of Vengeance are powerful, which kind of then leads to, you know, I want to kind of bring this together. You've kind of shared a lot of thinking around your blood tie and how you construct your list and tapping into the, um, into the, you know, the tricks of corn. And, you know, you were kind of getting a good idea of why you do what you do, but then here is the list. And, you know, you've gone the Reapers of Vengeance, you've gone the, the Beastmaster, you've gone Inspired, you've got the Bloodthirster on Unfettered Fury, you've, which has got the Crimson Crown, you've got the, uh, the Slaughter Priest, which has the Blood Sacrifice, you've got the Bloodthirster of Incessant Rage, the Blood Secretor, which is the General Mage Eater with the Skull Shard Mantle, Scarbrand, as well as your Corn Demon Prince, which I'm sure in six months may not feature as prominently as it yeah. currently is. So enjoy it while it lasts. Then you've got the Flesh Hounds, the Blood Reavers, two units of Blood Reavers, two units of Furies, yes. interesting ally options, and then a Wraith a Wraithmonger coming in at 2,000 points under a Battle Regiment and a Warlord. So what's this list do? How does it work? Why do you do what you do? Mm -hmm. I'll throw the floor over to you. All right. So the first thing you take into account with when you're building the list is you are going to spam the pylon six usually most of, most of every turn so you need some kind of cp economy there so this is what the crimson the crimson crown is there for yes it's one per battle round but usually you can pretty much you're you you're going to put it at least every every if you every time of your turn but sometimes in your opponent's turn, it's not happening. So 
it's pretty much you're getting those five CPs free, but sometimes you're not paying a lot more for the other pines because there's not they're not happening. So it's it's a very good artifact there for the economy because the Demon Prince is also costing a lot of CPs with his blood slick ground. So you're in a position where you need two CPs per round for every time every turn. Well, no, the Demon Prince is once per battle round. So, but you're still spending a lot of CP. So, uh, yes, the Crimson Crown really helps out there. And this is why also you're getting a Warlord uh, Regiment because that free CP once per uh, one, one time in the game really helps out when you uh, think you might need a bigger turn or some more output or defensive buffs. So this uh, CP is also uh, welcome when you need it. Um, blood Sacrifice on the Slaughter Priest. So this is to ramp up your blood type as, as fast as possible. And it might sound, and you're almost, you, 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 you can be thinking like, oh, I'm just getting one blood type per turn with this. Uh, it's not worth it. But if you're getting a bit of shooting or you have some units that are down to one or two models, when your blood sacrifice them, you're killing actually also the units. So you, you can get two blood types very fast. So that happens more than you think. Like, for example, the flesh hounds, someone suit at them, kills three kills three and a half, kills four, you, you can finish off the, the unit and get that second blood type with blood sacrifice and killing the unit. So you're getting those two important blood types very fast. So let me pause you on that one because Noel in the chat had kind of asked around the blood sacrifice, talking about, you know, do you feel like you're missing out by not having bronze flesh for the bloodthirster as opposed to having blood sacrifice that whittled down your own units to get yourself a, um, yeah. a blood tie point? I would say no, because the goal is to never get it on your bloodthirsters. The, the real goal is to never get a blow on these. So, yes, if you're fighting uh, very shooty armies, you might, you might feel bad that you don't have that plus one save, but you're going to die anyway, because shooty armies will take down a 14 wound 3 plus save uh, bloodthirster, even if you're trying really hard to get him alive. So just when you're playing versus those kind of armies, just assume that you're losing one per turn and try to make the best of it. So just try to play uh, in consequence to that. So blood, blood, blood sacrifice is ready to go to to fuel the blood type and go get those extra movements sometimes that will get you into combat faster and save you a turn of attack or things like that. I guess you've also got finest hour as well. So if, if you happen to find that one particular round where you need the plus one to your save, you can always go, you know, finest hour, run yes. off the board. Um, yes, that's something that to... I've used a lot. Even more when they say, when they call the bring it down or things like that, you know that this turn you're using that. And it, that's a good moment to use your warlord to compensate the heroic action. You might not getting that four up uh, CP on that turn. So you have really good, uh, you can really move around like what, where you're getting your CPs and make sure that every turn you're efficient. Talk to me about your bloodthirster choices. And look, you know, like, you know, there's, there's pros and cons either way. And, you know, N N Noel was mentioning, you know, the plus one save. Look, 
it, it's going to help you for those non-mortal wounds. Like, you know, the long strikes with the Holy Command, they're hoping to spike for sixes to get the two mortal wounds, which the, the plus one save's not going to help anyway. But it's always the other stuff as well. Like, you know, the non-sixes, you want to save as many of those <clears throat> as possible. But um, it's, a, it's a good tactic to have. And I, I actually find I'm burning more. In the past, I've held my, my finest hours till like turn three turn four now if i need it i'll throw it down in turn one yes i'd yes. rather just burn it early and and keep my hero around longer then i can always heal like you know i can use recovery you know and things like that 100 percent, 100 percent on that so on the bloodthirsters uh i mean what we are aiming for is reliability like i was saying earlier with the auto unbind the pile in six so you're never using luck on your games. You're always going for what's you know it's gonna work out. And Scarbrand does that, uh, like, is the best to finish off this thinking on the list. So Scarbrand has the ability to, um, when he's angry, at least uh, on a one-up. So this is non-failable because it's not an attack or wound. It's not a hit or wound or save. So when he's on one-up profile you get that eight mortal wounds in. You can, everybody knows the, the, the combo, but with the Ratmongers around, you get plus one attack. And with the uh, Blood Secretary, you get plus one attack. So what we are looking at is a Scarbrand usually who piles in, gets 24 mortal wounds on a unit, piles in twice three, three inches on the other unit, deals 24 mortal wounds on that unit. And... That's not even considering the, the other axe attacks. So usually you're deleting what's in front of him 100% without any luck involved. No rerolls, no minus one to it, nothing. It's just killing what's in front of you. So it's all about 100% reliability every time. But in saying that, so we're talking about the carnage rule here, here if, you're, if you're following along. And what Kevin's talked about is as Scarbrand's profile is degrading, um, his carnage ability gets easier. So when when Scarbrand is unwounded, um, he has one attack, which uh, on a five up uh, will just do flat eight, eight mortal wounds. So getting some extra attacks obviously increase the likelihood. But as Scarbrand gets degraded on his profile, that carnage roll goes from a five to a four to a three to a one. And if he's on 13 wounds, so he's on his final wound, um, it'll be a one-up. So yes. the more, so I guess, you know, like safe stacking on Scarbrand is probably not that important because again, the carnage roll becomes better and you're using like Mr. Whippy and other abilities to get plus one attack and then using the Reapers of Vengeance command ability to then double pile in to just do again, a sheer industrial amount of mortal wounds. Plus you've got, you know, what uh, a whole bunch of extra slaughter attacks. Yes. And, um, that, that doesn't mean that you cannot roll a six. So that can also... 24 moral is the minimum when you're thinking about it. 32 is something that might be happening on three dice because one six, you get an extra eight mortal wounds in. So you were speaking with Mega Gargan's coach earlier. Uh, I think Scarbrand can... If you're a bit ballsy, you can down two Mega Gargans in a single, in a single turn. And yeah, so th that's really what you're aiming at. Uh, Maggot Kin of Nurgle with the uh, the great on clean ones also are quite tanky, but 
I mean, with Carbrand, they're just auto-deleted. So, yeah, he, he's a real single-target killer. Uh, people really need to play, uh, need to have their units spread out when they're facing Scarbrand because if you can pile in two units, you, you know for sure you're deleting those two units every turn. We've got to talk about one more rule that's on the Scarbrand's rage, right? Because for most people, they're sitting here going, Anthony, that doesn't sound very good. Like, what's the likelihood of my Scarbrand being 13 wounds taken and ready to slaughter? Do you want to tell me about Scarbrand's rage? Because that is the clincher there. That's where you get the guaranteed one-up mortal wounds. Yes. So I have not the text in front of me, but usually at the start of the second turn, you check if Scarbrand has fought at least one turn, one, one turn before. So on the first turn, nothing happens usually. Scarbrand doesn't get charged usually. So because you don't want to get charged in the, in, and fight two, two times in the first round, you don't want that happening. But at the second turn, if there's at least one turn that he has not fought, so even if he fights on every of your turns, if he's not fighting on the opponent's turns, He's always angry. And usually the opponent either avoids him, so that makes it angrier, or he kills it. So, so usually Scarbrand is always, always angry on the table. Yeah, so the rule is from the second battle round, if this model is on the battlefield and did not attack at least once in the combat phase of the previous battle round, when you look up the damage profile, uh, it's treated as counting as 13. So basically keep Scarbrand out of combat in turn one. Do not rush him up the board. Don't try to like attack your opponent quickly. And then turn two, you're going to be able to get those one-ups carnage. Yes. So it's automatic. It's one-up and that's what you want on Scarbrand. Yeah. Yeah. And look, you know, running, running Scarbrand into the Guo is tough. 20 wounds, five up armor, five up ward save can heal D3, but with the amount of mortal wounds from the double pile in, you've got a pretty good chance of pulling. Statistically, you've got a very good chance of pulling it down through the sheer mortal wounds alone. So especially but, if you like yeah. the whippy and other pluses to attack. But you're piling twice, so it's 48 mortal wounds on the ghoul. So, yeah. And you're not charging, you're piling in, so he's not roaring at you, so he's dead. I mean, there's, there's no... But you've got to get the extra attacks off, like because because at the moment base profile yes. one so, attack is not enough. You need to get those extra absolutely. attacks onto onto Scarbrand. And this is really where the army is fun to play and challenging because it's all about positioning. Like I was saying earlier, I, it's it's not rare that I use a six to make my Ratmongers run on the first turn, so they're really up on the board with my Bloodthirsters and running as fast as they can. Um, Ratmongers. Yes, the range of the ability is 8 inches. It's not a lot. But don't forget that it's a unit of 5 models. So you can really spread the, the unit quite wide, as there are only 5 models. And that 8 inches bubble is still quite pretty big on the table, actually. If you are running them uh, efficiently on the first turn, they're pretty much every time where you need them to be. If you want to read the rule or... Before we get to the other units, I want to I want to ask you a question about your bloodthirsters because I see this combination often, and there's a poor cousin in the mix. It's the poor old Wrath of Corn bloodthirster, and I'm wondering why don't I see the Wrath of Corn bloodthirster very often? And I'm looking at one of the abilities, the Relentless Hunter, which allows you to reroll hit rolls that target a hero or a monster. That'd be quite good in the meta. 
Like this, all we've got is heroes and monsters. So surely this is a great, why is he not in your list? And why is it, why are we not seeing the wrath of corn bloodthirster generally? Well, the, the point cost is higher than the others. So that doesn't help when you're tight on points. Also, he doesn't have a lot of attacks. Uh, usually it's, I think Rat X is six attacks. Yeah. So even if, if he re-rolls or things like that, I think it's D3 wound, uh, damage. So it's, it's nothing really reliable. And like I said, the army is weak on many fronts. So if you can get the army as reliable as you can, that's a big yes. Yes, he re-rolls it in wounds. Uh, he has a great dispel on plus two. But uh, it's, it's not helping the army synergies overall. So that's why he's usually... Because with Reapers of Vengeance, you got good deny with the Mage Eater. You get the auto unbind anyway. So the plus two on his unbind is not something that's really useful. Because if there's a spell you don't want to be cast, you'll auto unbind. You're not going to go for the Wrath of Corn. So yeah, he's average at best. I thought I thought as much. Like when I look at the profile, like it's okay. And considering he's only got one attack, which is as well one attack profile, which is the six attacks, hitting on threes, wounding on twos, rend two for d three. Like there's not a lot of potential damage. I don't. I don't. And you know, there's not a lot of other attacks. Like it's more of a. The wrath seems more of a utility piece with the you know the re rolls here and the and unbinding here and you know you've got a, a decent um, shooting attack as well. Carlos asking the real tough questions though. How do you think you would go against Heat Knights of Slanesh, which is clearly your true enemy in the in the Chaos Pantheon? Uh, I have not had the chance to play versus Slanesh a, a lot. Um... I know they're fast. I know they have some some tricks also up their sleeve. Uh, it, it, I I couldn't really tell you uh, what would be the the real problem against them, but I know that they are having a a hard time putting damage in. But it's two armies that are very weak because Blades of Corn cannot take many damage. Also, so the the, the most I could hope for is break their charges with the Demon Prince, make sure they're not getting there. But uh, yeah, I mean. Every game with Blades of Corn is not auto-win, that's for sure. Kevin, that's a long way of saying you would smash Lanish. You would you would Don't... Blood for the Blood Gods, Skulls for the Throne of Corn, you would smash Lanish. I I I wouldn't say that. I mean Blade of Corn, I mean we are very squishy also. So it, it all comes down to good timings, skills of players, but I wouldn't say that. For real. Very political. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about some of these other units. You've got your Flesh Hounds here. They're obviously great unbinders. They're good screeners. They can re-roll the charges, which is lovely. Are they just, uh, one, a battle line choice, two, taking up the board space, three, being annoying? Like, what 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 are you doing with those Flesh Hounds? Yeah, you pretty said them all. So turn one, when the opponent is putting all his eggs in one basket at the middle of the board, you can easily go in and run with them. Try to block your opponent for a turn just because they can make a, a nice line. It's oval bases, one inch between each. So you can block some terrain with them. And th the bad thing is they give broken ranks easily. So when, when you are screening with them, be aware that you're giving out two points. So this is something that's like the, the, the thing that's not fun with the flash hounds, but 
yes, it's it's a nice unit. When you're low on points, sadly, they usually go for Blood Reavers because you need some points to get other things in. But in this list, I was able to fit a unit, so that was nice. The Wrathmongers, are, are, there, are they there primarily for Crimson Haze for the plus one attack to Corn? Is that what they, they're primarily yes. there for? 100%. So, yes, they can kill some small chaff unit. They can uh, clean screens and things like that. But they are really there to follow Scarbrand usually and make sure that he's getting his value in points. I played a couple of games against the Wrathmongers, and when you start screening with Wrathmongers with Scarbrand, they can really start denying as well where your opponent goes and then their Blood Fury ability to do a bunch of mortal wounds when they die um, is also a nice little um, a nice little boost too. Uh, I wouldn't say a bunch, but yeah. Sometimes it gives the one or two mortal wounds you need to finish off something or they can be scared of it a bit, yeah. Again, maybe I'm used to my Mega Gargans just smashing them all and then they roll sixes <laughs> and do D3 mortal wounds and I cry. Yeah, probably. Uh, Furies are something I saw on your channel, actually. Uh, you had someone, uh, Sire? Sean? Sean? Sean, yeah. I, I, I was going through like the corn stuff and then I wanted to bring in the the, Fur the Furies because that obviously is not corn marked. Which is obviously an ally, unlike like this the the corn demon prince, which is a coalition unit. You've brought in two units of fury. So talk to me more about why on earth these these bird demons are in your list. So Sean made some good points as I was listening to the episode, and I was checking a bit of the points, and they were fitting. So I thought that was uh, a nice thing happening there. Uh, fury is actually a very uh, strong attributes to them that makes them very interesting so first of all there are six models so if they are on the point and the monster comes in which is worth five if he's not killing them or charging them you're still keeping the point so this is the first thing with furies that's interesting um, also the ability to retreat if you are getting multi-charged uh, your screen is staying alive as they are retreating and sometimes they can retreat on the point because usually the monster is not taking all the space. So even if he tries to kill them, if he's multi-charging somewhere else, Furies aren't his priority, but that can cost him the point. So this is a nice attribute also there. They're moving 12. They have two wounds each, so very efficient point-wise. And, um, well, they give blood tight also when they die. <laughs> Obviously, you know, the, the, they don't give away broken ranks, which is nice. Yes. Um, the 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 retreat from combat, which is, you know, again, underrated, but you see people like Sean. Um, and there's a, a whole bunch of, like, Legion of the First Prince players who absolutely love the Furies because, you know, when you're in combat and it's your time to pick for the fight, they can retreat instead of fighting. So um, – it allows you to reposition uh, for a future turn. It allows you to not be on an objective and get onto an objective. It There's so many things that you can do with that retreat that pe most people don't play around with retreating as nearly as much as they should. But I, I, I love this in a, in, a, in, a, in a list. This is perfect for you because it's fast. So you can screen your bloodthirsters if it goes up the board. There's just so much you can do with the Furies and... Um, I think it's a good shout. I haven't seen a corn list use Furies, but I, I actually really like it. And you can play aggressively with the Furies. I mean, if they're middle of the board and they're getting charged and you can retreat, 
they can easily go over the opponent's board and be in position to give you the battle tactics of having two units in the opponent territory. They can be in charge uh, range to get those range attackers on the other side into combat on the next turn, if you, if you are getting that turn. And also, with the pile in six shenanigans, right? You can charge with Furies on a point, set up your pile in six around, retreat the Furies first thing in combat because you activate them first, keep the point, then go for your pylons afterwards. So there's a lot of tricks that can be pulled to save Furies from dying, but also maximizing movement and capping points. I think what you just said about the slingshotting off the objective, or slingshotting in general, you... You know, you, you mentioned it, you know, some of our battle tactics require you to be, you know, having units in your opponent's territory. You can use a charge to slingshot into a unit and then use the the charge phase to then, so the, the combat phase to then kind of retreat out of them. And with a good movement and fly, you can go from being in your territory to your opponent's territory. And it's only five, six models. So it's easy to kind of get in and they're not big bases. There's a lot of good stuff in that Fury list. And if they die... Yep, they're two cheap blood tide points in there as well. So a lot of good stuff. Yeah, so I think we've pretty much seen it all. Uh, just to go back on the incensor trade, we might have not we, are, we might have skipped really quick. But the booms the boom thruster is really your kind of shooting attacks. So if you can get those casino rolls and get those sixes to wound to make a lot of mortal wounds around, that's nice. Uh, I would say it always look good. It, it looks better on paper than it's in real life because usually it will get a few wounds in and that drops dramatically. Uh, the efficiency of the Bloodthirster, this one, really drops fast. So I might use him as uh, a lure or a decoy to maybe die first if someone wants to get into Scarbrand. But he's always a good plan B if you need some damage in. But I mean, if one has to die, it, it's going to be him first. And what you mean by the casino, you're talking about the outrageous carnage, which is yes. the, yeah. So basically if you're, so Scarbrand, it's not Scarbrand, the Bloodthirster of Incessant Rage starts off with five attacks, assuming it doesn't degrade. And if any of those uh, wound rolls from the axe are a six, uh, each enemy unit within eight inches will suffer X amount of mortal wounds. So it could be four uh, or as low as one, depending on how how degraded the profile is. So that's great for pulling down minor heroes. Obviously, just, you know, it, it gets people to kind of avoid the bloodthirsty because they just don't want to get those mortal wounds just from being in a, an area of effect. Um, there's a lot of good stuff you can get from the from yes. that bloodthirst. The, the biggest problem is when he keeps when he gets wounded, when he gets wounded, he loses both outrageous carnage and attacks on his axe. So it's like a double uh, nerf on his uh, profile when he's getting wounded. Yes, we could argue that you could make him fight full strength on the combat phase with Gur if you want to, but when you're doing that, you're hitting on four ups. And you're not piling in twice. So it's our choices when that happens. So you want to try to avoid getting him in wounded at all. Question from Noel was asking around Bellacore. Bellacore has become very popular. I've done a whole bunch of shows either within Legion of the First Prince or even Bellacore and like Nurgle. And I played a game the other week with Bellacore in Zinch. Uh, that was, that was a, I hate, hated that game. The two bin chickens and, and Bellacore. But what does Bellacore bring to Corn? 
given, you know, you've talked a lot about denial. You've talked about yes. the, the corn demon prince being able to, you know, block off the board. You've obviously got blood tie to kind of deny your opponent from doing things. Surely Bellacor plays in that space really nicely. Yes. So Bellacor has some nice potential. What I found with him is he's not so nice. He doesn't have a good synergy with corn. First of all, when you're in range of the blood secretor, you need to reroll your cast. So you need to make sure he's away from your army. So that's not something you want. Um, also, you're paying a good price to deny the opponent for doing anything. But at least in First Legion, he's getting buffed up with like wound transferring and summoning units. In Corn, he's not doing that. So you're very much paying a high price to cancel a unit for a turn or two. And like I was saying, I'm using my blood type usually to do exactly that. So unless it's really like a big unit of sh a, a big unit on the other side of shooting, like archers or bow snakes, yes, that has its use. But you're losing 360 points on something that could be added as chaff or other tools in your army. And even then, that works on a three up. So, like I said, I'm aiming at reliability, and this is not 100% reliable. So I've tried it a few times, but I, I thought he was lacking at the at fighting. I thought he was not so good. Uh, and yeah, he's not piloting six. He's not Mark of Corn. He's not uh, like a Demon of Corn. So yeah, he, he has his use. He can work, but he's not. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of synergies. And I think that's the key, right? When you're paying just under 400 points, yes, you're getting Dark Master, which is a really powerful ability. Outside of Dark Master, yes, he's ethereal, so you can't modify the, the save role at all. But he's not that great in combat. He isn't going to align very well. And in a corn army, where does 400 points come from? Are you dropping Scarbrand or do you keep Bellacor? I think you're going to take Scarbrand every single time. Where do you find 400 points? That's a Bloodthirster and a half or that is dropping your support characters like your, your, your Blood Secretor, your, your Slaughter Priest. And I, again, to your point, I don't know if Bellacor brings enough yes, to yes. justify dropping Scarbrand. Actually, he's worse because he needs to reroll his cast. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think he's worth 360 points in the core army. I don't think it's it's worth it. And as, Star as Starcade's kind of mentioning, you know, um, that could be two units of Skull Crushers for that same price. And you probably find, yes, you could shut off something once per turn, but so once per battle round. But um, the three up, there's, there's those clutch times where, you know, you want to stop them from shooting or moving and you roll a one or a two, then you've paid 400 points yeah. for something inconsistent. Exactly, yeah. So what are some of the other options? We kind of, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I think it was uh, someone in the chat, maybe it was Christian asking um, about something like a Mega Gargan. Would you bring a Mega into um, a corn list? Again, similar point around 500. Your option is the War Stomper, which in my opinion is the worst of the three Megas to be allying in or mercenary in. Thoughts? Well, it's always... The problem is, to make Scarbrand work, you need so much around him to synergize. And you need those three bloodthirsters. Yes, you could take out the the, the Unsated Rage to put something else out there. Uh, but then you're giving at your opponent an easy way to 
have a single target and break your synergy around what you're trying to aim at. And Pylon 6 is not working with that gatebreaker. So, and you need to pay you for You don't even something. get a gatebreaker. You don't even get the gatebreaker. That's the good one. You get the worst That's the trash That's even one. worse. But, yes, and also you need some chaffs and a, 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 a war stomper will give you only one blood type. So, like I said, the list is very aimed at having some key pieces and a lot of chaff around to make sure that you can really use your unit as efficiently as possible. So it could be something to try, but I don't think you'd get your money worth in this kind of list with corn with a, a mega gargant in it. Right. I'm going to go back political for a second. The ultimate duel with Scarbrand and Shalaxi. Do you think the Bloodthirster stands a chance uh, against Shalaxi? Well, I'm telling, unless there's a rule I don't know about Shalaxi, because like I said, Edenitz is not something I played against, but you're paling in six. So you, 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 Scarbrand is winning every fight that he's getting in and you're playing, it's your turn. So I think Scarbrand just wins every, every fight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Shalaxi's not even coming on the table with with um, Heed Knights of Slanish, so I'm not going to worry about them. I want to ask you about Cronspine in a second, but um, to come back to Cyanade's uh, Express's question, um, Bloodthirsters, we talked about this at the time. I know, I know you were late, so it's all good. Um, at the top of the show, we talked a little bit about the summoning pool, and Kevin doesn't tap into the summoning. It's more about the other shenanigans when it comes to using your blood type points. I think it's probably a bit of a trap to be summoning in a big pool of blood, uh, you know, saving up for a bloodthirster. And then obviously, you know, summoning it outside of nine inches from an enemy just puts you at risk where you're probably better off with those two, three and four valued um, uh, interruptions as opposed to a summon. That's, I guess, is that the kind of the summary you'd probably add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Now, Cronspine. Cronspine is the new addition to the Gur. Obviously, we might have more, not obviously, but it sounds like there'll be more incarnates of Gur or incarnates in general. But I know when we were talking a little bit before the channel started, I've been playing around with Cronspine in um, Suns, and I've really enjoyed Cronspine. It's a 400-point monster. Well, it's a monster. Um, it's bounded to a hero. Um, a couple of the benefits that Cronspine does, it definitely has some really good attacks. I think it's got a, some Ren 2 and Ren 3 attacks, um, although they're Range 1 and Range 2. If you issue all-out attack to Cronspine uh, um, by the by the hero that's bounded to, everyone within 12 inches of Cronspine will get all-out attack. So it means you can get multiple versions of all-out attack. Um, you can't retreat if you are in range of um, the Cronspine, the 12 inches. And when it die, well, when the bounded hero dies and it goes wild, um, it always has a plus one attack, a plus one to hit from all out attack, and it can uh, run and charge. So that's just some of the things that Cronspine brings to the table if people are not familiar with it. Kevin, what are your thoughts based on what I've just shared with you so far? Do you see value in something like Cronspine? It's super durable. It's going to give you a big um, area of effect when it comes to plus one to hit. Yep. It'll also stop your opponent from retreating. What's the pros and cons? I think it, in this list with uh, big bloodthirsters, it's not very helpful because Scarbrand is deleting anything that he touches. You don't need that all out attack. But in the mortal list, in the core mortal list, I think there's potential with that. 
Um, one of the big weakness of corn in mortal is, first of all, you only have pretty much ren minus one. So cronspine brings some better ren and output for that. And also uh, skull crushers, for example, are, are eating with spears, uh, spear or albert, but they're eating on four up. And if you're bringing two or three units of these guys, uh, you're getting a good value of output with the, the crown spine and having your skull crushers getting a better chance to hit on three up, maybe play with Gortide and reroll your ones to hit around objectives. So now you're getting skull crushers really putting some output out there and getting that crown spine give you some better rend in your mortal army. So I think rather than putting a bloodthirster in a mortal army, you could go for a crown spine that's more durable and will buff you the rest of your army. I, I think this is something that's worth trying. Yeah, and I think the, the risk that you have, so in, in your list, and I'll just bring up your list for a second, assuming you had an extra 400 points sitting out of nowhere, right? The problem is, is that the crown spine issuing all that attack and giving that aura, you don't get a choice. So if you happen to be within the 12-inch bubble, you must receive all that attack. And then given that all that attack is happening in the combat phase and so is your six-inch pile-in, you're getting one or the other. And it means either your army is avoiding the cronspine because you don't want to get, or you don't want to automatically receive all that attack and deny you from the six-inch pile-in, or it's going to be good for your attrition. If you're kind of not playing the six-inch pile-in and you want to get three bloodthirsters all getting plus one to hit that's beautiful or two even two like scar brand and and a friend that would work really well so that might be on the wording but the aura of the unfettered fury is not counting as getting giving a commendability to to a model because it's an aura that it spreads out so you could you could mix both but you're not getting that double strike double piling in yes. so this yes. Are you really getting more output? Because Scarbrand doesn't need that. So yeah, really on this list, if you're running three bloodthirsters, Scarbrand, Transpine, I don't think is a neat idea. But in a mortal list where the big problem is hitting on Fora, I think you're really getting a, a lot of value for your your money there. Yeah, I agree. I actually think um, in a more because you haven't really seen that many mortals. Like I remember in first edition where you'd have a lot of like slaughter priests, and you know you'd have well, I can't remember what the battalion was. Um, where you'd have all the mortals running around being really annoying, making me re-roll re my casts and just generally being a pain in my backside. That that kind of builds no longer around, and it lacked the combat punch, which was the ultimately the bloodthirster. This plays in that space quite nicely, while I think in your demon side, very much a bloodthirster in Reapers of Vengeance, maybe not the best approach. I, 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 I tend to agree, and that's why I wanted to draw this out of you, just to go, well, what's the pros and cons? Because the only way, really, if you wanted to play like corn mortals, like pure, and get some minus two ren, was to play Varen Guard with Mark of Corn. <laughs> so, I mean, that's sad, but that was really the way to, to get some things done with the banners and get extra attacks and play with the Fell Spear. But getting, getting a Crown Spine could give you those attacks with ren that you're aiming at, at while also buffing the rest of the army. And mortal corns are good at stacking attacks, getting a, a, a high volume of attack. Their problem is it's all minus one ren and hitting on four up. But I, this is where I think might be this, a, a good synergy to try. 
there's something yeah. to, to do there. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's worth looking into, I think, again, pros and cons. And I love the ability to stop people from retreating. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it gives there's an aura where you can, it, it gives minus one to spell casting uh, within the aura as well. So especially those heroes that are wizards running around the board, a minus one to cast is always going to be good. And then if you need it, boom, auto unbind. Yes, and we talked earlier how good it was with the blood type to charge in the aero phase. And if they cannot retreat, well, this is getting annoying for the opponent. Just a little. Just a little. <laughs> just a little bit. Talk, talk to me about your deployment. Do you have any deployment tips for me as a corn player? Are you a, a castle type? And obviously battle plans and opponents and all of that comes into play, right? I, I get it. But as a, a corn player trying to learn how to be a better corn player, do you castle up? Do you kind of break them off into like having things on the flanks and something in the center? How do you think generally about your deployment? And is there even any terrain features that you like to go for with any abilities or, you know, what, what's the thinking when you get to the table? So that's funny because if all my friends would tell you that the part what I'm bad at is deploying in 40K, that was my worst, the worst part. So I was always playing army that I could redeploy and change where I was, fighting and going uh, rapidly. So what I'm aiming at when I'm deploying my army is getting that skull altar as aggressive as possible in front. Usually I don't garrison my uh, slaughter priest in the altar because I like to put it just beside and give like a free target to my enemy. So if he wants to shoot at it because he thinks it's a, it's a free kill or things like that, well, go ahead, have a blast and that might save me some wounds on my blood thirster. So it's a trap that generally no, nobody gets into it, but I just set it there and just, if that happens, that's better for me. Um, also, in the way that I've put my battle regiment and my warlord, I make sure that all my chaff is dropped in a single drop and make sure that the key, uh, the key element, the key monsters, so Scarbrand, the Incensate Rage, the, war- the Ratmongers, are all put independently to make sure that I put them as efficiently as possible on the table. So usually I put my chef, people like are putting up an eyebrow because I put my battle regiment first. But I mean, it's all my chef, it's all in front, it's the slaughter priest, it's things that are easy and they all go at the same place. Yeah, and my key pieces are put afterwards. Yeah, there you go. Your blood in your particular build, you're uh, what do you got? The, the flesh hounds, the blood reavers, the furies. Uh, you've obviously got the slaughter priest, and one of your bloodthirsters is in your one drop, and then that obviously goes down. And people are like, okay, cool. Where are those key pieces? Where's the other? Where's Scarbrand going? Where's the other? The other things going? Um, and obviously, you can adapt to your opponent yes. as they're dropping because what you tell me with your one drop is not enough for me as an opponent to go, right, this is what I want to counter. Or if I've got my long strikes or some type of shooting unit, I need to put them here to get Scarbrand early or whatever it might be. Yeah. So this is really thinking behind that. Any other any other deployment tips you would have? Do you like oh, to go first or do you like to go second? I usually like to go second unless there's a big threat on the other side. Um, the... The reason I would go first maybe is get some blood tights in. Um, but even then, it's usually one, unless 
you're trying to to get something out but so usually i try to avoid my opponent getting a, a double turn um before me so if i can make it work that's fine uh using the double turn is not something i always do um i try to save it as much as possible and that's also when the uh, charge in the arrow phase the, the, the blood tide three is useful because when you're in a good spot you can give the turn to your opponent use your blood tide block his turn and then keep your double turn so you're always getting that pressure you're breaking their turn but you're keeping the pressure of the double turn further and this is something in the game on turn three or four that really breaks the opponent's synergy and you're really getting the the most out of your army at that point so of course when you're fighting big shooty army i mean the chances of you winning are slim but any other army that have uh, mid-range shooting and just a lot of close combat i'm thinking uh, beast claw raiders i'm thinking maggotkin these are all very nice games that you're going to have with this list, mm. even more if you're using those tools uh, very efficiently. What about the other side? What about those shooting units, right? You know, there's more shooting, whether it's KO, whether it's going to be, again, I've just done the review of Daughters of Cain and both snakes and the double shooting is not going to change. You've got dragons and long strikes and, and sentinels and orc killer bows and there's a lot of shooting in the game right now either with high rend or high mortals do you have any advice or any strategies or things that you try to do when you're coming up especially because those units are those armies are trying to be one drop or as close to one drop as possible yes so there's a like one trick that you can pull out to maybe if if the opponent is not deploying uh, well enough so you got that demon prince that moves 12. You can make it run six, which you're at the double. And then you can use pile in six with the unfettered fury. So you know you get a 24 move, 100% reliable, like I was saying. So if you can get that piece up the board, you play first. You get that piece up the board and you close combat like the bow snakes or something that's not well deployed or he was not thinking you would reach there so at the, when it's their turn you can get that demon prince on the finest hour you can get him on the all-out defense in the shooting phase and he might tank it or if he's not tanking it full you're wasting the opponent is needs to waste shot in the arrow phase or even in the shooting phase in the demon prince and now that gives you like your second turn to go in and try to if he's not doubling to get that damage in so that's like the missile you can use to clip your opponent turn one and might get that that, that second turn in to, to to wipe the opponent yeah with the demon print it's like damned if you do damned if you don't you've got to take it down but you taking it down is not always the right strategy like there's obviously scar brand and other things that i want to kill but keeping that dorm, that demon prince alive denies me and makes my life so much harder when I'm fighting in the middle of the board. And if I'm putting so many resources into those shooters, then my combat's not normally as, yes, I know Forminators and there's dragons and I get it, there are some builds, but other types of armies don't have those powers. So Yeah, and, um, and you're giving a lot of points, VPs, because the demon prince is, is going to die first turn. And But I mean... This is pretty much the only way you can at least try to make the opponent waste a turn killing that demon prince. 
and that might give you the game in the end. So this is like a Hail Mary, but it's at least a tool that you have in the army to at least uh, wreck some plans on the other side. Yeah, and, and worst case scenario, long strikes, bow snakes, all of those things that are shooting off the corn demon prints, they're all priority targets too. So you're not giving away any extra VP when it dies, mm -hmm. when those things kill it. Other than that, like, you know, a handgunners or other types of units, you're probably not too worried about them. It's the it's the things that are on the priority target list, which is trying to kill your priority target that you're not giving away free stuff. Yeah. So it's not a bad thing. So that that's that's pretty much the only tool you you might have against like an army that's one drop that says, Yeah, you go first, I'll play two turns after and wipe you off the board. So yeah, I mean at least it's something, right? So it's not a hundred percent lost. Is there any any linchpins in the army that you're trying to protect? And I've got one final question after this. So is there anything that you, like, when that dies, you're like, you know, I, I'm crying a little bit? Um, the Blood Secretor, of course. That plus one attack, usually people never go for him, but he's such a force multiplier that I don't want losing him. Even Scarbrand, if he dies, you always have that insensate rage coming in after that can still save you the game or things like that. Um, the Unfettered Fury is really the most valuable piece in the army, the one that gives Piling 6. Just for example, I, when I was playing James in the Sylvanet, I was dodging all the strike lasts on 4-ups that the Sylvanet do at the start of combat because I was piling in after the start of combat. So I was dodging strike lasts. I was dodging Unleash Elves from uh, Dirtu and things like that. And when I lost that Unfretted Fury in the game by shooting, when I had to go in and fight those Tree Lords and Ancients by charging the old-fashioned way, that really put me into trouble getting that damage in because he was just always making me fight less. And now I was having problem getting that damage in. So really, the, the Pilot 6 is the probably one of the most important tool in the army yeah yeah it's, it's a really good one yeah as you said the tree lord stomp makes you fight last there's a lot of things that can activate at the start of combat you don't want to as get roared exactly you want to avoid things like roar as well and yes there's an you might feel like you're like oh i want to get titanic jewel it's not worth getting in range um because you don't want to be roared no. out exactly and and scarbrand does the job with without any more elf all he needs is more attacks, and you're giving it to him. Any final thoughts or comments you want to kind of share with the peeps before we kind of bring this home? I think, you know, you've shared a lot of really good information about corn, especially one that's not doing very well in the meta right now. Any any final things you want to share? Anything you're most looking forward to potentially in the next General's Handbook or maybe even the meta as it shifts? You've got Ghosts coming out. We've got um, Daughters of Cain. Maybe we'll see more Witch Elves. We will see... Skaven and Sylvaneth coming. So maybe we are coming back into the battle line, horde, more troops, less hero monsters. You know, anything that you're looking forward to? Well, there's a few things. First, you just talked about it. We, we mentioned the crown spine and some mortals. And if battle lines are coming bad, blood crushers with that kind of buff, they have eye wound, eye saves. They're, they're actually okay. The, the, the big problem is the one inch of the spears, but 
I mean, that's that's the only problem and the forum, but the crown spine could do something. So this is really a list of mortals that I think we could work around and make something work out. So that's that's a thought there. Uh, also, play 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 what you want. I mean, Blades of Corn is I would say a low tier army, a, a low tier tome. But in a in a big tournament, like we said earlier, we never know what we are going to face against, and it's all about making sure that. Chasing the meta is one thing, but all the books have tools usually to get some skills in. And when you are playing like some tough armies and you need to get your, challenge yourself into playing like tricks and making the most of everything, when you are going back and playing easy army at some point, you're thinking that it's not challenging enough and you always go back like to those armies. Like you were saying, you're playing Gloom Spites and... For, for that exact reason, having fun, but also challenging yourself. So there's no pressure. You... Like, there's, there's no pressure. Like when you get yeah. to the table with an army that is not doing very well, like as a dragon player or as a, you know, a, a top tier player, like if I'm running those top five lists, the, the list, you know, mm -hmm. there's pressure on me and like, I've got to win because it's a, a high win percentage and it's so powerful. If I don't win, it's like, well, what happened? What's wrong with me? But when I run my 120, 160 idiot grots, or you're running your corn, it's not doing very well, and you lose, you're like, I wasn't meant to yeah. win. I'll grab a beer win, and that's fine. Yeah. If I win, I just laugh my ass off. So I'm like, yes, I beat you. And like, how does it feel to lose the grots? <laughs> and like, exactly. Crying. So really get into that toolbox of blood tide. Try to master the, these kind of tools that are 100% reliable. That's what you want in the tournament, being reliable. That's why we aim at rerolls and things like that. But there's so much stuff in that book that makes you get those abilities 100% of the time that just make sure that your opponent redeploys to get your Paladin 6 Bloodthirsters after in range. Just make good use of all your tools and the, the reliability of this army when it's played well is so giving and you'll, you'll get through most lists with that. Yeah, look, it's a good army. I really enjoy it. Um, I love the, I, I always want to buy an, uh, an army of bloodthirsters. I think there's just something about me that just loves to run monsters and, and big killy things. I think for me, corn plays that really well. And I think if the, the play style changes a little bit in the next book and it kind of taps into what I would imagine, again, a more iron jaws, daughters of Cain style army, I think I'm definitely a corn player. Mm -hmm. I think it definitely plays into the way I think of corn at the moment. I like the tricks. But I don't like the idea of being rewarded for dying. I think for me, I just want to get more. <laughs> I don't know. I just want to get more blood for the blood god. Well, that's 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 what it's all about. You need dying for for blood for a blood god. So I'm okay with it. I, I I'm having fun, and when units die, you get still blood tight, and sometimes you get that magic number you need to turn the the game in. So I mean, it's all good. It's the only army you're rewarded to having units dying. So I think I think it's fun. Kevin, you are, as we've already mentioned, uh, if people want to see one of the battle reports from Grand Clash, unfortunately, it's the one that you lost. But if you, people want to see your army in action, you can go check out Seasons of War. Again, friend of the channel, go check out. And they've been playing the games and you can see um, all of Grand Clash or at least a, a ga or two games. There's two games and the one versus Sylvanet, the game four, is actually like very tight and very interesting. And you guys will see some kind of plays I'm talking about in this uh, with you, coach. Here, you'll see them in action versus Sylvanet. 
Sadly, versus I didn't, this was not happening because I lost the double turn. And that happens, but I was playing for it. It was a Hail Mary. Um, but the Sylvanet was a great game. James was an awesome sports and awesome guy to play versus. And we had a lot of fun. So go check that game. It's uh, really one to, to learn the tricks that we're talking about. And Emma and Jordan are doing a great job at narrating the, what's happening. And they have a good knowledge of uh, like all the tricks I was putting out. And James as well. So it, it's, it's a good watch. Awesome. And you're also a guest on Gentleman Gaming. Was that right on Twitch? Yeah, Gentleman14 on Twitch. Uh, so if you're speaking French, well, if you're speaking English and you're interested still, you feel free to join in. But uh, yeah, it's mostly, it's mostly French speaking, but it's on Tuesday evenings. So Gentleman14 uh, on Twitch, if you're interested in some AOS content there, we are every week, uh, Xavier is putting up some, a great show. So uh, go check that out also. Awesome. Well, Kevin, it's been awesome chatting to you. Um, it's been great to talk corn. Certainly, certainly, certainly something that I wasn't preparing to talk about until you absolutely crushed the meta and you went four and one at Grand Clash. And I noticed you're not doing you, you, it. wasn't a hail mary. You've been doing quite well with corn for a while. So, thank you for sharing all your wisdoms and thoughts. And if you're a corn player, make sure you leave me a comment and let me know how you're thinking about corn. Is there anything that we haven't spoken about? Maybe a unit that Kevin is not looking at. Maybe there is something, some secret list tech that we haven't shared just yet, or maybe a way to improve that list and make it better. Yeah. Let us know in the comments. We're always trying to learn. I think yeah, that's probably the other thing as well is like when you're playing um, an army like ours, both Glibspike Gits and Corn, the community rallies together because we know we don't have the tools and we're always trying to help each other, try to get the maximum out of like our, our little book. And it's like, if you've got an idea, you're like, oh, I've been playing, you know, I think you're, you should be using the the the, wraith, the wrath of, of, of corn bloodthirster this way, or have you thought about this, or Valkyrie plays really well here. You're like, okay, I've got some new ideas. So either way, like, let us know, curious on, on, on what some of the list sites that you've been playing with. But Kevin, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for joining. And uh, thank you, everyone, for, for hanging out. See you all. Thank you, Coach. Bye, thank everyone. Thank you. Everybody. Bye. Thanks for sticking around until the end. I hope you found that video interesting and you walked away with a few new ideas. If you did, I would appreciate it if you hit like on the video as well as left me a comment. Let me know what your thoughts are in the comment section below. The conversation will continue over on Discord, so links down below in the episode description if you want to join the Discord and continue the Age of Sigmar conversation. I want to give a massive shout out as well to these absolute bloody legends, these champions who have continued to support me through Patreon or YouTube members. That is going directly into supporting the maintenance and the growth of this channel. So thank you very much, guys. Much appreciated. And until next time, roll more fixes.